Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour, videographer Nick Yale. Welcome in for another edition of questions from the audience. Uh, and last week's questions from the audience, the, the, the failure, there's always failure here on my part, that's what I do, uh, was that I forgot we were recording questions from the audience. And so then the sea monster says, Hey, we're doing questions. From the audience. Ah, I forgot. And then I put the question notification out there on Facebook. And so there wasn't a large window to get a bunch of questions. And so somebody actually asked about the Artie Lang show experience from how it, how it all happened to what happened to then what happened afterwards. And it wound up being an hour long story uh, because that's what made my synapses fire the most. And I feel like whatever makes my synapses fire the most is what gives the, of course, it's subjective, best content. So yesterday, before sitting down to do questions from the audience, today, I remember to put out, hey, we're recording a questions from the audience, fire away with your questions. And so now we've got, we've got plenty to choose from. So this will be more the rapid fire version of questions from the audience. I think both work. I'm just letting you know that at least the plan right now is to tend to as many as I think will make synapses fire from the questions that a number of you have either sent via email or posted on the TMA fan page on Facebook, which if you're not a member, I would recommend joining. It's the TMA fan page. Just click to join. And uh, as long as it's a real Facebook account, you're going to get in. And uh, it's entertainment throughout the day on social media with about 6,500 other listeners. If you are a listener to this podcast, please feel free to email me anytime, whether it be for questions from the audience or feedback, uh, guest recommendations, Please keep them within the realm of reality. I doubt President Obama, President Trump are going to be sitting in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Uh, but maybe somebody who, uh, from a local or realistic standpoint, can be on the show, uh, I would love to hear. I might be going to Las Vegas in uh, over Memorial Day weekend, and I'd love to, to have somebody while I'm out there. I was talking about Brent Musburger. I feel like with the gambling decision that that would be a good one with what he's doing. So, uh Anyway, always feel free to email me, tmckernan at insidestl.com. Also, don't hesitate to, uh, if you would, leave a positive review on iTunes or wherever you may podcast. It helps the cause. And uh, if you're interested in getting on board with the podcast, don't hesitate to email me, tmckernan at insidestl.com. Ryan Kelly and his team at thehomeloanexpert.com got on board at the very beginning. And there are studio sponsors here. If you're in the market to refinance, 
if you're in the market to buy a home, and man, a lot of people are, that home market is something else, make sure you go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Get pre-approved. Make sure that you have that weapon in your arsenal when you go in because it is competitive out there right now to buy a home. Thehomeloanexpert.com allows you to do that. All you got to do is just go to thehomeloanexpert.com. There are two tabs there, refinance, purchase. Click on the one that works for you. Enter in your numbers, and the next thing you know, you have an idea of what your payments are, what you can afford, and what a refinance would do for you. Because right now, five minutes can save you $500 or more on your monthly payment. Why not take the time to find out if Ryan Kelly and his staff can do that for you by going to thehomeloanexpert.com? That's the website. The person is Ryan Kelly. The staff, phenomenal. I can't recommend them enough to you. It's thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly. Online at thehomeloanexpert.com and the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. So it's questions from the audience day. Uh, usually the way it works is on Mondays we have interviews and on Thursdays we have questions from the audience. And, of course, you can listen anytime you want. Most of these are uh, are evergreen. In other words, the questions still stand uh, no matter when they're answered. Some of them are t- of a timely nature, but many of them are you know questions that are just in general and I can answer anytime. So I'm going to go into the email first. And uh, this one is from Robert in Galesburg. Tim, I hope this finds you well. This may turn into a rant, but here goes. I'm four and a half years into being a news journalist in the newspaper world. When I left college, I thought it would be great to return to St. Louis and work at the Post-Dispatch. Kathleen Nelson, since retired, spoke at career day when I was at DeBerg High School more than a decade ago. Anyway, as recent years have dragged on, I no longer have the dream or desire to return to St. Louis as much as I thought I would. I'm 27 years old, so I fall into where you normally talk about people not returning to St. Louis as much, but I'm in a much smaller community in Galesburg, Illinois, with a county population of about 52,000. I guess my question is, do you think you would view returning to St. Louis in broadcast differently now if you were doing it in the post-NFL landscape, or would the dream of reporting on the Cardinals outweigh the other happenings like the Blues versus City fight that recently occurred? God, that's an all-over-the-place rant, but I hope the question makes sense. Oh, well, I appreciate the discussion on the show. Cheers, Robert and Galesburg. Really good question. Um, and I'm going to take it from a more macro standpoint, which I hope answers your question, uh, and that is this. Because I think if you were ranking, and I don't, and I, I know that I could pull this up. Seamaster, you might pull this up while I'm blathering on about it. For people under the age of 40 if you were to rank the four professional sports leagues in in the United States slash North America, uh, and, and some would may want to include MLS and maybe MLS would be a factor. So if you wanted to go to five, uh, the most popular are, I would think would be NFL, NBA, then baseball, then hockey. And so because St. Louis does not have the two more popular of the four leagues, teams and obviously doesn't have an MLS team either uh, that I wonder about the market's ability at this moment in going forward in getting the best sports media talent available. Um, And I want to make this clear. And I hope if you've listened to me for a while, you know that this is the way I, I try to operate. I don't try to drop shade on other sports media people. The truth is I really don't listen to much else other than our show. Um, so I'm kind of in my own little world. So I'm not like, Oh, that's, that must be a shot at so-and-so it's just not. 
Um, for example, I think very highly of Ben Fredrickson, and he's a guy, I think, in his mid-20s. Um, super bullish on him, but he has ties to the area and that he's from Missouri, and he went to the University of Missouri. My point is this, is if you want to go to a great sports market, and while this city has incredibly loyal sports fans and passionate sports fans, because so many people who live here grew up here, and therefore your passion was born in your youth, I don't know how attractive it is for somebody who either loves the NFL or the NBA or both and wants to cover the NFL or NBA or both. And that's a real thing. It's something I've thought of. You know, if, if, if I'm ever in a spot again, if I want to get in the spot, if I am in a spot again where I'm operating a radio station and you want to bring somebody in from outside the market who you're like, man, this person uh, has incredible talent. And we can put a very good offer on the table to make sure that we bring this person to town. I I wonder if the person would be as apt to come to St. Louis now as he or she may have been when the Rams were here. No matter what, the NBA thing has been going on since the, the late '60s. So that that's that's it's relevant to the discussion, but it's not relevant to a change in St. Louis because it's been the way it's been for 50 years. But uh, the NFL thing, I do think that that is relevant from that perspective. Now for you, Robert in Galesburg, uh, asking me, would it have changed my mind? The answer is no, but I was so Cardinal centric that that is why my quest was to get back to St. Louis. That's what it was all for me. It had nothing to do with the blues or the Rams, uh, or Missouri or St. Louis. U. uh, it all was about the Cardinals, which looking back on it may have been, um, short-sighted, but that's what my passion was, and that's what I was making my decisions based on, and so that was my reasoning. So for you specifically, uh, Robert, uh, what is your passion? If your passion is hockey or baseball, you're still good, but if it's sports in general, yeah, I mean, the reality is the attractiveness of St. Louis for a sports media person who has choices, that being a very important uh, phrase there, uh, you know, without having an NBA or an NFL team, that's that's not a positive. So that's also reality. But for me, you're asking me the question, uh, it would not have impacted it back in the 1990s when that's everything that I wanted. It was just to be here and to cover the Cardinals. All right, let's go to the TMA fan page with the questions. Most will be answered. Some will not be just because, again, synapses have to fire. Uh, this is a Cardinal-specific question. What do you think the Cardinals should do to upgrade the team, and what do you think they will do to upgrade the team? I believe the answer is uh, to your two questions is one answer because I think it's what they need to do, and I think it's what they will do, and I think they're going to go out and get a third baseman. Um, and I know the attention is on Machado and Donaldson. I wouldn't ex- ignore Mike Moustakas uh, as a potential solution, but I expect this team. Now, the variable is... And so please, when we have this discussion, I mean, I guess I can't control it, but to be straightforward, injuries can change the world. Uh, you know, since the Cardinal season started, hell, since the, the month of May started, Yadier Molina has not been a part of this lineup. And even though he is older, Yadier Molina's presence both behind the plate and calling a game in uh, playing his position defensively, but surprisingly, offensively, is a material loss for a lineup that is struggling as it is uh, at the time of our recording. Hopefully it's changed by the time you listen to this. So that's a major problem. In addition to the obvious ones of Fowler 
Carpenter and Ozuna at the time of this recording performing well below their uh, projections were for 2018 and certainly what they've done in their careers. And then Colton Wong well below what his projections were, even though the organization I don't think was as reliant offensively on Colton Wong going into this year as as they were with the uh, three aforementioned names of Fowler, Carpenter, and Ozuna. So, assuming, and again, this takes injuries into consideration, knowing it's a variable. So, like, if by the time you listen to this, it's mid-June, and, you know, Carlos Martinez is done for the season, and Miles Michaelis is done for the season, and Greg Holland can't do anything but throw a slider, and teams are teeing off on him, so the Cardinals don't have closers, but Norris has fallen back to earth. The dis- The discussion changes. So, with that all compartmentalized, looking at what they have, this team is right there in first place, and that's without these guys hitting. And I recall sitting down with John Mazalek on this this podcast, not this one, but on the Tim McKernan show, in the offseason in, in saying that they viewed uh, an impact bat right there with uh, a closer as the key. And yeah, they did acquire Ozuna, and yeah, he is a great player, but I felt like there was need for more. The problem is these long-term contracts that in the offseason... Many fans, and I guess I say understandably, although I really disagree with it, I understand where the passion comes from because it's not limited to Cardinal fans, want to see the team go out and, and, and offer and then sign because then they get criticized when they finish in second place for um, players. Uh, that they, There's so much risk. People go, why is Dexter Fowler still playing as of this recording? Just understand that as of this recording is officially... Uh, the underlying theme, so I don't have to keep saying. Uh, and it's because he's, the, the, his contract, I mean, they're, they're not even 40% of the way through this contract. And people are already going, God, this thing looks like an albatross. And I get things wrong probably more often than I get them right. But I guess if there's something that I would give myself credit for, and it's not necessarily isolating it just on the Fowler contract, it's the ability to not get caught up in the moment on emotion, at least at this age. And that is, okay, you know, a lot of people, the Fowler signing would have gotten an approval rating, I bet, around 75 to 80% back in December of 2016. Okay, but if you're only thinking about the upcoming 2017 season, then then you're missing the point, from my standpoint, because you just signed a guy who's been historically average to above average player, who obviously has high equity because of the Cubs World Series at that time, to a to a five-year deal that nobody else was really offering, but because he may not have been dying to come to St. Louis, whereas he was looking at other markets as being more attractive, they overpaid when they couldn't get Adam Eaton. I'm like, God, yeah, he might be good in 17 and 18, but what are you going to get in 19, 20, and 21? And, do you, and is that going to lead to you putting him out there when he's a an albatross? Well, I never thought that it would be as bad as it is at this moment in 2018. Now, I do think it's going to improve. But how much is it going to improve? And that's just for 2018. What about 19, 20, and 21? And that is why I'm so hesitant on these monster contracts because then you're stuck with these guys and you are either playing them or you have a guy making an absurd amount of money on the bench or sitting in your bullpen and it's a debacle. And then it holds you back from other acquisitions. So that's my logic. Uh, Hell, I wasn't on board with a Stanton move. I would have been excited by it but I felt like it would have been costing the Cardinals opportunities uh, in in potentially even the near future, much less the long-term future. I mean, the deal was so bad that it uh, hamstrung the Marlins organization, which, don't get me wrong, is a debacle in and of itself. 
So why would the Cardinals be dying to take that thing on? And that's where I'm coming from on those uh, when we have those kinds of conversations. Uh, like Adam Wainwright right now, I realize is a target for a lot of Cardinal fans. Well, I mean, that was a deal that I didn't like then, but it was kind of a thank you deal. The one that I didn't like that so far has been great, which is really surprising, was Yadier Molina. I thought, oh, here's another thank you deal. And I realize, but that's not how you operate businesses is, you know, you can do thank yous with like an isolated payment, but that doesn't mean you thank them by like keeping them around for three years if they're a drag on the business. Well, Wainwright at this point is, unfortunately, and might be on the way to being out of the game, unfortunately. But Molina, to his credit, continues to keep producing. And hopefully when he's back in the lineup, the Cardinals will get back to where they had been in April. Plus, Alex Reyes will be part of this rotation. Plus, Jack Flaherty looks really good. And if you have a, a rotation of, of of Martinez, Waka, Michaelis, Reyes, um, and who am I leaving out as I just was talking? Well, Flaherty. I mean, that's that's pretty damn good. And Luke Weaver at the start of the season was very good, and his most recent start was good. So you have a great rotation. What I'm worried about is how much this this offense is going to get back on track toward the mean. And then also there's some real question marks in the bullpen. Some guys that either the team was counting on, um, or that the dollars would indicate they were counting on, and they just haven't been performing. Uh, and that's a real, a real issue, and it goes beyond Greg Holland. You're talking Luke Gregerson, Dominic Leone. Uh, that's, that's a question mark. And then the left-handed situation, they can't have two lefty relievers healthy at the same time. So there is uh, my thought process that I think they will go out and get a third baseman if they are in the mix in July. I expect that to be the move. Uh, let's see. How has fatherhood changed your perspective on life or has it at all? It absolutely has. Um, and I get, I mean, so many, so often I get my, I get caught up in a discussion that I know we've had on questions from the audience, which is it's, 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 but again, it's out of my control. It's like bitching about being short or losing my hair. It's like, I didn't do anything. It just happened. Uh, and it's biological and that's the way that it is, which is the same reason why Anna Marie and I, it took years and we didn't think we could have kids that when Jameson, our son was born, I'm 41 years old, uh, or I guess 40 years old at the time when he was born, um, that, that, you know, I mean, from the standpoint of just being 40 years old and going, okay, maybe I've got however many years left. That's sad. Actually, uh, it sucks, but it's, it's sad. But at the same time, I don't think I was ready to be a good father at the age of 30. Uh, and along the lines of the question, I enjoyed the hell out of my 30s with being able to travel and being able to pick up and go whenever. But the stress of my 30s was a lot of career stuff uh, and, and and a lot of it's off the air stuff that some of it the audience knows, some of it because of the way it's written in the paper, the audience thinks it knows, and it's not the audience's fault that it's not necessarily complete uh, the complete story. But you are aware, if you're listening to this, that we deal with a lot of stuff off the air that leads to a lot of stress. And I really feel fortunate that there that I didn't have a bunch of um, dependents who would have suffered through that stuff. And there was a lot of it while it was going on because it was incredibly stressful. It's bad enough that, that my wife had to deal with it. Um, and I know for people go, well, we have stress at work too. And I listen, I understand. Here's the thing that I always say to that because my dad will say things like that. And I say, I get it. You had this and you had that. The difference is yours isn't public. 
And in most cases, when your job is covered, an athlete, a musician, an entertainer, a politician, there is so much upside, upside usually being wealth or some semblance of control of your own destiny, that you can actually ignore it. And not to say that everybody does. In our case, it's, that's, that's not the way that it is. And, um, and so I love and feel so fortunate that I get to do what I get to do for a living, but the element of it being covered like TMZ, uh, when it's, you know, private business, uh, and having things that are either quoted that are just flat out made up. And, you know, if you wanted to pursue it, it, it's, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess some of it can be, he said, he said, others can be okay here. This person's lying here. Okay. Stop. Or, you know, face ramifications. Um, it's just, that's the thing. Like I can wake up on a Friday morning and open up the post dispatch and read things that are inaccurate about me and it can impact the trajectory of the business. And that is something that I'm grateful for. I didn't have a child or children while that was going on and inevitably it still will probably happen. But now that I do have a child, that stuff, I don't want to call it insignificant, but the perspective has changed because I don't, it, it isn't my life anymore. Uh, it's not to say that it's not an important part of my, it just is, it does not dictate my life. Um, I, I feel like I've said it a number of times on here, but if, and when, and unfortunately it's probably a when, not an if the show or whatever broadcasting in St. Louis that I'm doing comes to an end, uh, I won't be like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'll be like, all right, that was great. I had at least as of this moment, 18 years in my hometown doing what I set out to do when I was in high school and college. And that was whatever, a third or fourth or whatever winded up will be of my life. And that was awesome. And my family got to watch and listen to me in St. Louis. It was great. Now I want to move on to something else. Um, and whether it be here in St. Louis or moving to Jupiter, Florida, or whatever the case might be, it'll just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's about my wife and it's about my son. And if we have other children, that's, that's what it's about. And that's, what's, that's, that's the perspective that's changed for me since having our son. Uh, let's see. And then the natural follow-up question to that is who is your newest porn star on the rise? Uh, it's just, it just flows. Questions from the audience just flows. Uh, I've said Athena Palomino. Um, I do worry about her. Uh, seems like her, her best friend in the industry is Lana Rhodes. Uh, but as far as potential goes, Athena Palomino is my play. But whereas I would have invested a lot of my capital, my stag capital and Athena Palomino, uh, six months ago, I would probably, uh, reduce some of that outlay at this point, just because of, uh, what I see going on on the Twitter tweets with, uh, with Lana, uh, and, uh, and I don't know if that's the best play. Uh, when will Iggy have enough of people on the fan page calling him out? I really don't think it bothers him all that much. Um, because if I did, I don't think we would read it. Like there is certain thing. I guess there's only a couple things. I don't even know what the things are. Like there's a handful, and I don't even know if it's. I would call it a handful because that indicates that it's like a few. I can think of a couple of things that uh, are kind of off limits on the show, so to speak. There and it's understood amongst the six of us. And so if Iggy came to me and said, "Hey, I've kind of had enough of the you know the garden thing or the lying thing," it it, it just end right then. But I think he kind of has fun with it, even though it certainly can read like it's super mean-spirited. 
let's see. Besides Howard Stern, did you listen to any other particular radio shows, local or nationally syndicated, before going into radio yourself? This could range from childhood through your early 20s, I suppose. <clears throat> um, growing up, we would listen to, well, I would walk to school, because we live so close to St. Gabriel's. Then driving to school, I feel like there, Steve in D.C. was on, but it's the drive was relatively brief from where I lived to, to St. Louis U High School. Um so what really turned me on to it truly was Howard Stern, but it wasn't listening to Howard Stern on the radio because up until I don't even know when he wasn't on locally in St. Louis and satellite radio wasn't on. It was when he was on E entertainment television, the, the, the movie of his and uh, the TV show actually were more impactful to me than the radio show. Then I got into the radio show um, and it was the long form interviews, but it's long form interviews. So I wouldn't say Stern was the only influence I would certainly put him at the number one, but like, like, like this will be a weird pairing of influences. I would say Frank Cusimano, uh, the way he goes about it. And I still would say this year in 2018, I don't know if anybody approaches doing their job, television and radio with more passion and optimism than Frank Cusimano, uh, his preparation, uh, his passion. I don't know anybody else who does it now for our show, which is an improv show. Uh, it's a totally different thing. If we prepped our show, we would we would ruin it with scheduled bits. But for Frank, doing a show by himself, like if, if I were to do a show by myself, I would certainly approach it more similarly to Frank than I do with TMA. Um, that was an influence, seeing how he went about it, but also the manner with which he conducted interviews, the passion he had, which I think connects him with the St. Louis audience. He has a gauge on what is important to St. Louis area sports fans, which is an intangible uh, and a, but a very important one, uh, certainly Joe Buck and Bob Costas, but probably not for the reasons people would think Joe Buck and Bob Costas. Um, their, their quick wit, which isn't something you can teach, but showing me that that was something that was acceptable to incorporate into a broadcast. Uh, and they're both of their, their interviewing styles, uh, you know, Jack Buck as well. Uh, so those would be the ones, I feel like those are the combination of those uh, would be the ones. And also across the board, they're all really, you know, the, you know, the ones I've got to know, I don't know Howard Stern at all, but really good people away from the air and also have been so helpful off the air when I was young and coming up that uh, I, I think of Frank and what he did for me in the 1990s. Anytime somebody reaches out to me who's in their teens or early twenties and wants to get into broadcasting. And I will also give them the caveat emptor regarding, you know, getting into the business, but also attempt to help in whatever way I can. And whether it be by sending an email or being used as a reference or whatever, or giving them feedback on their, on their work. So though that's, that's a different way of answering the question, but that's, that's the accurate way. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you miss hair? Uh, good question. Very direct. I like it. You know, here's, here's, here's the, here's the deal. And so my situation is different because I'll hear people say, oh, I would shave my head, but I have such a weird shaped head. And I go, God, who has a weirder shaped head than me? Uh, you know, now I don't even know. I guess if I don't call attention to it, maybe people wouldn't notice it. Um, but since I do and then people and it kind of comes becomes a running joke on the show, uh, you know, once we make fun of it, then the audience feels comfortable making fun of it, which is cool. Um, 
because again, it's it's like it's one thing if it's like, man, I'm I've put on a hundred pounds and I'm really insecure about it, and I did this to myself. You feel differently about that than like male pattern baldness or height, you know, or if you have like a you know some some condition that you just can't do anything about. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I started losing my hair like in my late teens, but I took Propecia and it kept it. But then I stopped taking Propecia because it was like $90 a month and then it started falling out. So from that standpoint, because I do have an odd shaped head, um, that I, I, I think, I think if I, I think I were born in 2018, for example, I think I'm one of the babies who would have one of those helmets on, which would help form the skull. So it doesn't have this weird thing going on. It hasn't affected me, but I think it does. And I have no problem with this impact television opportunities. Fortunately, I don't, I'm not looking for television opportunities, but I, but I recognize people want to see what the the stereotypical uh, television personality. And that usually includes a full head of hair. It's not as uh, quote necessary now as it was, you know, 20 years ago, but it's a real thing. So in that sense, you know, my wife says, you know, she's seen, you know, videos of me on camo V with hair pictures with hair and just like, God, I, I, I like you better without hair. But at the same time, I, I don't know how honest she's being there uh, because it could simply be a way of uh, trying to just make me feel better. I can't do anything about it. I guess I could get hair transplants. And I did look into that in 2007 and I don't know what's going on now. Uh, Cam, obviously Cam Jansen's very vocal about his whole thing. Um, in 2007, I would have flown to Vancouver. I was going to do it right before I was going to start my job at SNY. And I had no idea that the, like they, they they cut out a piece of flesh across the back of your head and then take that flesh. sew up where it was to tighten it, to cover it, and then take the hairs there and then replace those follicles in your head. And now I understand they don't do that anymore. But either way, that was an incredibly expensive process. Plus, I was going to Vancouver to do it. And when I was going to do it, uh, I didn't realize that I would look like a Chia pet for like the first few months before the hair would come in. And then I see like Brian Urlacher did it. And I'm looking at Brian Urlacher. I'm going, I wonder why he did that. Because I thought he was like one of the few guys you go, yeah, I mean, he was better bald. And now he kind of looks like Kevin James with the hair anyway. And I don't get that. Um but I mean, hey, man, everybody's got their things. You know, if you like, you know, like we joke around about like the, the Brio look. And by that, I mean the, the bar restaurant uh, where everybody gets the, not everybody there, but a lot of people get the plastic surgery and they kind of get the the, the the cat eyes and the, the big lips. And, it, you know, it doesn't affect me. So if it makes them feel better, God bless them. So I, I wouldn't say that I miss it. Um. I mean, I, if, if given the chance to go back to the head of hair I had like in the 1990s and I had like a thick head of hair, sure, I would take it. But it isn't really something I think all that much about. Uh, even in the 1990s, when I had a like a really like not long, long hair, but certainly longish hair, uh, kind of like Bama bangs, that would be the way I would describe it. Like if they cut away to the crowd shot at an SEC football game, that hair, that's what I had. Uh, I wore a hat anyway. I've always worn hats. So. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, if I could have it, yeah, but it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I hope that answers the question. Uh, aside from the normal TMA crew, including fill-ins, who would you like to work with in radio? Um, I, on that, 
I guess, I mean, if you're looking around the market, I mean, I just, it's always kind of been like this, it's kind of like a flow chart. It's like a band. Uh, and the band has changes and inevitably at the moment there's a change to the audience, it feels like, oh, this is it. But I've been through so many changes, both in on the show's cast and then it, whether it be stations or management, that that the change becomes the normalcy. Uh, so along those lines, it's it's like like if Doug and the cat text me today and say, you know what, I think we're done. We don't really want to do it anymore. I'd be like that absolutely sucks. I'd probably go into a depression for a couple of days, but you know, Jay and Charlie would, would, you know, from my standpoint anyway, come in and yeah, the show would change. It's like the show's different with Doug versus the show with Martin. Um, and some people would always talk about that and, uh, you know, and, and that's the way that it is. I remember when Martin left the show in 2006, he was like, Oh, the show is dead. The show is dead. And, and I thought to myself, I don't really think the show is dead. And that's not to undervalue Martin so much as the show has never been about one host. The show is about the audience and the feel to it. So yeah, show changes when Doug's not here or when the cat's not here or when I'm not there, I guess, I don't know. Uh, but the, the, the feel of the show and the audience's contribution to it, to me is the thing that is, that is the actual show, not people per se. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you don't have me, Doug, or the cat, or Charlie or Jay, then it would be pretty disingenuous to call it the morning after. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's the group and the relationship with the audience and the feel of the show that makes it different. So, you know, that's how I would answer that part of it. As far as looking around the market, I feel like Learn and I, uh, who have, we just did one podcast and never met each other. Um, and, and I walked in and she was already in here. And I think we were both as the interview went along, learn is it KC 95, uh, and works with John Hewlett. We're kind of like, what's this going to be like? Cause we've never met each other, but now we're going to do an interview. And then we wound up just bullshitting for like 90 minutes. That's the kind of thing, not that I went into it looking for like that, but that's the kind of thing that I love. And I love to be able to just riff with somebody um, and I feel like that, uh, ability is not common because chemistry is one of those things, either it's there or it's not. So, uh, she would be somebody who stands out to me. Um, the Rizzuto show I know is crazy popular and I know those guys, I don't know them, um, real, real well, but I have an incredible amount of respect for what they've done. Dave Glover, certainly. Um, and I hope I'm not inadvertently leaving anybody out because people always look for that and then try to go, Oh, I wonder if there's a riff there and there's just not I'm in my own little world. Uh, but the learn, the learn one stood out to me and I've had a few people who said they go, man, I mean, you guys ought to work together. That was really good. Uh, so anyway, that, that, to answer the question, that one stands out. Let me go back into the email inbox. Uh, Tim, I'm a huge lemming, but just moved from St. Louis to Kansas city. And while I'm still in the honeymoon phase, it's pretty clear how much of a better city Kansas city is in so many ways. While I see the number of downsides to you moving the TMA show to Kansas city, would you ever consider it? And what would be the pros and cons if you were to move the operation here? Maybe Iggy could help with the logistics. This is a very hypothetical question. That's from Evan. Uh, Evan, I want to answer the question 
as respectfully as possible, picking up and moving the show to Kansas City isn't something that I see as being on the table in any capacity. Uh, perhaps the show being played in other markets is something I could see. Um, but picking up and moving the show from St. Louis to Kansas City isn't something that I could see. Um, I've had people ask about the show being syndicated. We would have to change it in two ways, none of which I necessarily, I think one of which is is more material than, than the other. Uh, to, to sit and talk about St. Louis sports every day is something that, you know, I don't really think is that huge of a deal anyway to our audience as it is, which is nice um, because, you know, as I've said a million times, I just cannot come in and act like I am furious about a Cardinal loss in May where they just got beat. I can't do it. I, I now I, again, I know how to do it. And I know Doug and the cat know how to do it. You act like you're really upset and then you pick a target. Usually the manager, uh, hitting coach seems to be in vogue at this moment. And, uh, and, and blame, blame him and then get people riled up and it works. Look at Twitter outrage equals engagement. But I just don't want to do that. There are other things that we either are entertained by or fascinated by. And oftentimes at this point, it's more non-sports than it is sports or more non-local sports anyway than it is sports. So in that capacity, I could see the show working outside the market. Um, The other thing that would have to change, and this is kind of radio inside baseball, is we would have to be on a clock that is consistent through all of our, our affiliates. Uh, we couldn't just randomly go until like 9.05. You know, you'd have to hit a clock uh, because those affiliates would be playing local commercials and you can't just randomly go till whenever you want to, not at least at this point in our careers. Howard Stern would do that and people just made made it work because he made it work. But um, that's how I would uh, view that. So we're not picking up the show and moving it to uh, Kansas City, but I'm flattered that you uh, would ask. Uh, this might be dumb and interest no one but me, but is there a story behind the music beds that you use for TMA? How and when did we don't have to take our clothes off become the opening theme? Time passages become the text of the day music and the song from Ferris Bueller become the music bed for email of the day. Were those from your high school mixtape or did they happen organically? I can't hear any of those songs these days without immediately thinking of TMA. Okay. uh, We don't have to take our clothes off. I think, think here's the th- here's the problem with it, attempting to answer the question i don't know the answer and somebody like buck swope could probably answer it more effectively than me which is really sad but it's true um i think when we started up the morning after and there was like a let's see three month period where we were doing uh the morning grind which really wasn't we it was me and bob fesco so it wasn't martin and the cat uh and then i had to kill a nine compete and then we started up the morning after with doug and the cat in september of 07 that we always just play, you know, the show is, and it's almost like I'm like, like talking about an inside joke, but if if you, if you don't know it, then it's the joke isn't for you. I mean, the show is in some capacity, like a Colbert report mocking cable news. It's mocking sports talk radio. And so sports talk radio in any market, it seems, has the guy or guys who really don't have a whole lot going for themselves outside of getting on the radio and attacking people. And they usually open up the show with like some badass metal riff and then like start screaming. And 
you know, I mean, God bless them, are really upset about what some 21-year-olds did on a field or court or slab of ice. And hey, if that's working, God bless. But for Martin the cat and myself and for Doug and the cat and myself, our personalities are such that it's, you know, and I think the audience gets the joke after 14 years, I would, I would imagine so, that we're, that we're mocking that. Uh, not anyone in particular, because that would be pathetic, but, but the industry as a whole. I mean, it's so, when you think about it, so odd that the people who weren't good enough to do it are making their living by criticizing the people who were good enough to actually do it for a living that is, you know, 50 times squared what the person criticizing them is making. Uh, and, and as if we are the experts and they're the morons who don't know any better, even though they're the ones with the information. So the whole industry's premise is built on a foundation of bat shittery. So to take it super, super seriously along those lines with attacking organizations or managers or coaches or athletes and making it personal all while playing a badass metal riff seems to me to lack so much self-awareness that it then falls under the umbrella of the Colbert Report. I think he was doing mocking Bill O'Reilly uh, specifically, but cable news as a whole of just, you know, scalding hot takes that were just full of contradictions and a lack of self-awareness. So how does that get to, we don't have to take our clothes off and time passages. Uh, it's, it's, it's about as, is is anti eighties metal riff as it could be is Jermaine Stewart singing about cherry wine and not having to take your clothes off to have a good time. And then Al Stewart, the cat was always fascinated by Al Stewart. Who's the uh, singer of time passages because he would really accentuate his S's. If you listen to any Al Stewart, uh, Year of the Cat and Time Passages, I mean, there's just one S right there at the end of Passages, but the way Al enunciates, you would think that, that he's saying the word scissors over and over again. It's just there's S's everywhere. And so that's how it all came to pass. It's all at the root of the inside joke. of It's like PFT Commenter on Barstool. He intentionally tweets out ridiculous things and his audience gets that it's a, a joke, but then there are people who don't get the joke and then they get really upset thinking he's being serious, which then amuses the people in the audience who get that it's a joke. That's kind of essentially what the morning after is after 14 years. There it is. I would think most of you knew that, but that's uh, that's that's the root of the whole thing. Uh, I'm not sure if you've talked about him before, but I'd be interested. This one stood out to me when I was reading these yesterday. Um but I'd be curious what you think about Don, Dan Patrick's success doing what he does. Somehow he's been able to carry on a successful radio TV show in its current iteration for over a decade without being too hot takey in an era of scalding hot takes and faux outrage. It seems to fly under the radar because he and the rest of the cast aren't screaming into their microphones about contrived drama, but remain syndicated on multiple forms of media. That seems to be the exception and not the rules th th these days. I know it's not really a question, but just curious about your thoughts on that. I love that question because it was a great um, anti-point to what we have been advancing as a narrative uh, here over the last few months with kind of 
discussing like guy who pops up on Twitter with a hot take and you go, oh, I know you don't know anything about it, but I know you're trying to get people fired up about it or you're just trying to tap into a certain audience that at this moment in history is really angry. Um, and Dan Patrick doesn't do that. And so, uh, and, and yet he still maintains a show that is humorous. I don't think it's mean-spirited. He certainly gets great guests, conducts outstanding interviews, uh, seems to have a really good group of people around him, uh, stability with that group. Um, and yeah, you're in, and, and your point, Joe is the person who asked the question, um, is right on target. It doesn't seem to get all that much attention. Honestly, I don't know how successful it is simply because something is syndicated does not necessarily mean it's successful. In this case, I certainly would say I, I that it is, I just don't know how successful I would think that it is quite successful. I love that. I, I don't think I was thinking it in 2005 when I left TV. Um, maybe I was. I mean, I'd have to go back 13 years and, and go through my thought process. I just know that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing TV-wise, and I loved doing radio, and it was making more money doing radio, so it was kind of an easy thing. But, uh, I mean, he made a big decision that at the time a lot of people thought was a terrible decision, which was to leave not just TV, but leave ESPN and SportsCenter, which was at a much higher profile then than it is now, to do radio. And people are going, what in the world are you doing? And he loved the creative outlet that is radio. And I've talked with TV people. And they go, God, isn't it? Like, Renny Not. Renny Not's a podcast that'll be coming out here soon. And we talked about it. And he loves doing his morning show now on television because he isn't locked into like three minutes of a sports cast where there's a producer in your saying, you got to wrap, we got to get to weather, we got to get to weather, which is something that all of us who've done local sports television know is like a common thing in your IFB, your earpiece. Uh, and he can show some personality because he has three full hours and you're just kind of talking with your co-hosts, um, co-anchors. So Patrick, I respect it a great deal. I don't know about the success, but you're exactly right. It isn't hot takey. It's thoughtful. Um, yeah, I, I, the thing is, I don't really have a good response outside of you're 100% right. I also think you're right that it doesn't really get that much attention, but at the same time, it must have attention because it's on all these years. Um, so God bless you're, you're a hundred percent right. And if anything, that gives me, uh, gives me some, gives me some hope. I suppose one thing that I, I guess I could poke a hole in it with is Dan Patrick already had a high profile. And so he didn't need to hot take it or attack to get attention or tap into certain demographics in order to build his hashtag brand, hashtag brand. Uh, and so that allowed him to not have to go down that lower road or to, uh, you know, he already had credibility with the guests that allowed him to get, you know, really good guests. So it's not an apples to apples. I do think that's relevant, and if we're going to have the discussion and kind of do a, uh, you know, deep dive into to how and why, but you are right uh, along those lines. You're absolutely right. Uh, and final question, Tim, I seem to recall you filling in on the sports desk at KMOV around 2008, 2009-ish, but after listening to your podcast with Steve Savard, you make no mention of that. Were you contemplating getting back into TV at the time? Uh, that's a really... Good question in the sense that I think I only did it two nights. It was 2009. Uh, and for anybody to really remember that, I tipped my cap. Uh, didn't really make a big deal out of it. 
uh, and it was really before Twitter. It was right around the time Twitter was starting to take off. Not even take off, really, but it, Twitter was becoming mainstream. And I, don't, I actually don't even know how it came to pass. I think it came to pass um, because I was going out to Glendale, Arizona, to cover Missouri in the Sweet 16. They were playing Memphis. Memphis was an incredible team. And I believe Memphis was a two-seed. Missouri was a three-seed. And Missouri beat them, beat the hell out of them, too. Marcus Demon hit like a three-quarters of the court shot. Uh, and they beat Memphis, and off to the Elite Eight they go, and, and they lose to UConn. Uh, and UConn goes to the Final Four. Once again, Missouri comes up short of the Final Four, and they lose in the Elite Eight. And I think, because I was working with Doug at the time, and he was talking about how KMOV wasn't going to send anybody out there, I said, well, I'm going to go out there anyway. I'll be happy to do it. I mean, it's standing in front of a camera and going live. I can do that in my sleep, as can anybody who's done this for a few years. Uh, and it'll save you money. I can make a little bit, whatever, can offset some of my expenses for going out there. And I was just going as a fan. Um, and so that's how it came to pass. Now, as you've, if you've listened to the Steve Savard podcast, and I would recommend that one, uh, as you now know, Steve and I hadn't talked for about 13 years up until we sat down in this studio together. Uh, we did theoretically talk when he tossed it to me from the anchor desk in St. Louis to me outside of uh, that big stadium uh, in Glendale where the Arizona Cardinals play and where Missouri played Memphis and played UConn in the Elite Eight, uh, in the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight. And... Um, you know, I just did a live report. It's not a big deal. Threw it back to him. And then because that went, I guess, well, and because Doug and Steve were the only people in the sports department at the time at KMOV, uh, they needed some off days. And since the thing where I went live in Glendale went well, they're like, hey, would you be interested in doing it? And I lived downtown on Washington Avenue. So, I mean, talking about maybe a three to five minute drive over to KMOV, one memorial drive. And I'm like, sure, you know, I guess it'll be fun, I suppose do it it'll be an extra you know whatever amount of money whatever uh and i do remember this okay i well actually now i can give you the specific time of what it happened because because of this is what happened it was like around november or december of 2009 and the reason i remember is because you know on radio i feel like it can say almost anything as long as i'm not violating fcc rules on TV, and it allows some creative freedom, which we were just talking about. On TV, the Blues were really struggling at home, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. And this is right at the time that Tiger Woods was having his controversy with the famous crashed car and Elon going after him with the golf club. Um, and so my line in my sports cast, and I did a, f a couple of days, to me was as benign as the day is long. But having done local TV, I know that err on the side of caution, be as benign as possible. My line was the blues are, uh, continue to struggle at home. The record is this and this and this. They enjoy being at home as much as Tiger Woods does these days. I mean, a line that I think is so Jay Leno esque that I wouldn't even use it on TMA I made sure that I went to like the assistant news director before I said it on KMOV because I didn't want to get them in any trouble. You know, I'm there as just a guest for a couple of days. I certainly don't really care. Uh, and by that, I mean, it's not like I'm looking to get back into television, so I'm not going to cause any problems. And the, I think he was a producer, assistant news director. He goes, oh yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. That's a little, that's a little borderline. And I'm going, God, this is just a reminder of how, you know, how antiseptic this thing is. 
Um, so to answer your question, absolutely not. I was not looking to get back into television. They weren't looking for me to get back into television. I was not looking to get back into television. Um, I that's just, yeah. I wasn't then, and I'm and I'm not now. Um, but you are correct that I did anchor a couple of times in 2009, which I guess was four years removed from uh, being on KMOV. Uh, hey, uh, I want to thank everybody for their questions. As always, welcome your emails, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com, uh, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Uh, that's how you can email questions for questions from the audience, which comes your way uh, usually every Thursday. Sometimes we have another interview we want to work in, but on Mondays we unveil new interviews every week, and then on Thursdays questions from the audience, and you can always catch the cat chat on the Inside STL Podcast Network as well. That, of course, comes highly recommended. Thank you to our sponsor, James Carlton, uh, and the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Man, I am so glad that I've gotten to know James Carlton uh, because here's a guy that I think the world of, think the world of the way that he does business, think the world of my chance to get to know him from the standpoint of, oh, now if I have a question regarding insurance, I can call him up, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net and know that I'm going to get not only an answer and a call back, but get get good information, good counsel. Uh, with home buying season heating up, after you get pre-approved with Ryan Kelly, be sure to get a quote from a top agency and provider of the number one home insurer in North America. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. People do business with James because they like him and they trust him. Just check him out on Google and Facebook. He's online at Carlton Insurance. Net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. Thank you to our studio sponsor, Ryan Kelly at thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to all of you for listening. Always feel free to ask questions, give feedback. Uh, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Rate the podcast and please support the sponsors for the producer of this fine presentation, John Seymour, a.k.a. the Seamaster. Uh, Nick Yale, our videographer. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.